Hey, it's Anita, and this is the Anita Posh Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome back again to the Anita Po Show, where it is my pleasure to keep you up to date with topics around Bitcoin on a global stage and also the local impact it has on people like you and me. My guest is Exiled Surfer. He is a long-time Bitcoiner. He has been in the space since the beginning of the Bitcoin time. Let's say it that way. He has a lot of experience about the developments in the Bitcoin space. He was there when Ethereum was founded and he was also a part of the Bitcoin Foundation back in the days. Now he's part of the team at Sovereign, which is a decentralized exchange and a protocol on top of Rootstock, which is a sidechain of Bitcoin. So basically, we're talking about Bitcoin DeFi and the connections and relations to Ethereum and other blockchains. We're also going to talk about the Sovereignton, which is a hackathon organized by Sovereign, which starts tomorrow and where people come together to build new innovative applications on top of a decentralized protocol like Sovereign. After a short message... We're going to start and enjoy. Many people worry about the right storage for their Bitcoin. And yes, holding them isn't always easy. Smartphones get lost, hard drives can crash and online wallets get hacked frequently. The safest way of storing cryptocurrencies long term is offline in a physical way. That's why Coinfinity developed the Card Wallet, the professional and easy cold storage solution. The Card Wallet supports various security features such as high-quality materials and tamper-proof features which prevent the manipulation of the card and make it a safe place for your beloved coins. Get yourself a Card Wallet now. You will get 20% off if you order at cardwallet.com slash anita. That's cardwallet.com slash Anita. Do you want to stay up to date with the things that happen in Bitcoin from my point of view? Then subscribe to Anita's Weekly, my newsletter with articles, videos, quotes, short tips on how to use Bitcoin and all that for free. Subscribe to Anita's Weekly at anita.link slash weekly. Hello, welcome, Exiled Surfer, to the Anita Posh Show. Glad to have you on. Hey, Anita. Welcome to the Exiled Surfer Show. Happy to be here. What I know about you is that you're very long in the Bitcoin space. But um, to be honest, I don't know the story how you got into this place and what you like so much about Bitcoin. So at first, please introduce yourself in a general way to our audience. Cool. So I basically went to university to get an email address in 1980 when it was still ARPANET <laughs> <laughs> and went through the first generation of the internet. And being on the first generation of the internet, there's places like the well um, that where all the thinkers and, and, and visionaries uh, were. And, you know, so, so you end up uh, being in a curious space and you follow mailing lists, you follow interesting things that are going on. One of those then was was uh, uh, Cypherfunk's um, mailing list, uh, P2P Foundation mailing list, 
places where uh, the uh, the white paper was was first published. So involved in those in those communities online, didn't really take it serious seriously uh, at the first glance. Other than oh okay, BitTorrent Bitcoin was about the level at which I took it seriously. Also at that time there was there was. Um, you know, so like Liberty Dollars and uh, Bitgold and those sort of things that had gone up and gone down and been attacked by states. So that was part of the dialogue. And so Bitcoin was this the, the latest generation uh, of trying to do a non-state digital money. And, and so interesting, participating in the discussions, but not really going, oh, okay, I'm going to do this, right? And in 2009, basically, I had sold my advertising agency that I had in Istanbul and came back to Austria and was living on a farm uh, on the Czech border, like literally, you know, right on the Iron Curtain border. And um, at that time, basically, uh, WikiLeaks showed up. Uh, Julian did a talk about WikiLeaks, launched launch WikiLeaks uh, at, at Chaos in Berlin. Uh, so was around uh, computer chaos and, and hacker space in Vienna. Metalab um, was one of the, the first ones in Europe. Um, and, and so was involved in those sort of, sort of communities. And so I was doing basically being a creative guy, I was doing online memes uh, about WikiLeaks and then Anonymous happened. And uh, then PayPal blocked WikiLeaks. So I was involved in this community and that's when, that's when basically the, the, you know, the light went off in my head it was like, oh, okay, here's actually the use case for it. Here's an organization that's talking about transparency for organizations, privacy for individuals. Um, and here's exactly the use case. PayPal blocks their money. We can use Bitcoin to, to support WikiLeaks. So that's the first time that it really like, so went off in, in, in my head. Of course, in MetaLab, we were uh, people were mining on laptops. We had the first uh, the first USB ASICs uh, and stuff like that. And and you know, Bitcoin was at like 30, 30 cents at that time. And and people were when it went up to a dollar, it's like, should I sell now? I've got you know, I've got two thousand Bitcoin. Should I sell them right now? <laughs> sort of thing. And and guys putting their laptops in cold storage in bank vaults and all those sort of things. So uh, so. Pretty much, you know, so so from that time I've been involved. And then crypto Twitter being what it is, um, I met a guy named John Matonis, who was the founder of, of uh, one of the, the founding executive director of the Bitcoin Foundation, along with Roger Baer and Mark Carpellis of Mount Gox fame and Charlie Shrem of uh, Silk Road Arrest uh, fame. Uh, so a lot of colorful characters. And John came through uh, Vienna on his way to go talk to Swift in 2013. And so he said, hey, let's have a coffee. Uh, so I met him for a coffee in Vienna. And he told me that the Bitcoin Foundation wanted to do new visual branding for their website. And so as a creative guy, he asked me if I could do the rebranding for the uh, for a launch of the Bitcoin Foundation website. And I said, sure. And this was uh, basically two weeks before Mt. Gox collapsed. And uh, so I got a phone call and before I'd even started, he said, hey, could you handle the DNS transfers uh, for, for the Bitcoin Foundation? Because um, we, Gavin can't sign the binaries for, <laughs> for the latest Bitcoin release. And we can't get in touch with Mark because there's all this chaos going on. So Roger's gonna fly down to, to Japan and if you can take over, you know, changing over the domain so that we have, have uh, 
control of them, then let's get going. And I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> so, so Roger like literally called me from, uh, I got SMS and voice to get the, the logins and passwords to do the domain transfers for the Bitcoin foundation properties. And there I was all of a sudden in the middle of what was going on. <laughs> and it just sort of, you know, went from there. <laughs> yeah. So that's essentially the, the origin story. There's a lot more since then, but. Yeah. The, the, the short origin story that uh, lasted a few years, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So until 2015, yeah, I was at the Bitcoin Foundation before, before Brock Pierce became, uh, became the, uh, the, uh, he's still there, I guess. Right. I don't really pay attention to it too much because yeah, Brock is not really my, my cup of tea. No, he's <laughs> not. He's not. What, what happened to the Bitcoin foundation? I thought it, it never worked. Uh, well, it still exists. I mean, it basically, so, I mean, the oh. idea of the Bitcoin foundation was that it was going to be something like the Linux, uh, the, the, the Linux foundation. Right. Uh, but then the fork wars happened. Right. So I was like, mm -hmm. you know, managing the, the Bitcoin forums for the foundation and stuff. And all the people that you still see arguing about this stuff, Oliver Jansen's and, you know, the, the whole block, the whole block war stuff, you know, took place on the, on the foundation forums very, very early. And it just sort of like imploded, uh, you know, there was, so there's like a whole group of people that had, um, you know, a financial interest, right? So Eric Voorhees was also one of the, uh, was also one of the, the, the directors and, uh, he went on to do shapeshift. So there was this like natural, there was, there was a tension of people like, like Cody, uh, you, you know, Cody Williams is Williams, his name. Anyway, so Amir Taki, so you have people like Amir Taki and Eric Voorhees, right, uh, in, in the Bitcoin Foundation, uh, and it was just like a natural tension. So you had, yeah, so it was just, you know, so it just basically imploded uh, with, with, the, with the whole Block Wars uh, issue at that point. It went on, and, and of course, so, you know, there was a point at which uh, Bitcoin was at like 2000, and we were all going, okay, cool, there's a really big future, and we had this budget, and we did Bitcoin 2014, so my first crypto conference that I co-produced in, in Amsterdam, um, and there were companies like Circle, BitPay, Coinbase, they were the sponsors, and we had integrated their wallets with the Bitcoin Foundation uh, site and stuff. Um, so there was this always this natural tension, and you know there were people that wanted to make money with Bitcoin, there were people that wanted to like you know enable just basically you know permissionless transactions, and and so. The Bitcoin Foundation split up, Matonis left, you know, different people left. And then uh, I think Bruce Fenton came in uh, or no, Brock came in and then later it was Bruce Fenton. And it just sort of became irrelevant, you know, sort of events and the acceptance of Bitcoin um, just, uh, you know, sort of like uh, transcended what the Bitcoin Foundation uh, had set out to do. And they didn't really have a clear mandate uh, or, or a clear understanding of what it is that they wanted to do. Um, so events just overtook the Bitcoin the, Foundation, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But isn't that also the ethos of Bitcoin to have no leaders and no mining council, for instance? Exactly. So that was always, you know, the tension right at the beginning. And, you know, so there was there was, you know, sort of like natural um, you know, good tendencies, you know, the intentions were good, but that tension there of no leaders, uh, was, was, was always a criticism, the criticism of the Bitcoin foundation. Right. And then you had Gavin going to talk to the CIA, um, you know, uh, mm -hmm. to explain to them what's going on and, you know, John running around talking to Swift and, 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 you know, in banks and talking to diplomats and, you know, being out there and pimping the stuff. So, 
you know, there was there was good intentions, uh, and then there were you know uh, you know economic in, uh, intentions, and and those things are still you know we still have those issues today in Bitcoin, right? Like you say with the mining council, yeah. So there's aspects that I like about what's happening uh, with the dialogue around the mining council, right? So we're finally coming to the point where people are recognizing that, uh, you know, Bitcoin has a place in in, in energy calculations uh, for the economy. And to rationalize that and to move forward into renewables is one of the original promises of Bitcoin, uh, looking for the most efficient form of energy and eventually that we have a real-time ticker of, of, of solar energy or wind energy or tidal energy that we're basing our economy on rather than burning stored energy uh, of the sun. So it's, it's good that this dialogue is going on now. But again, there's that tension about, uh, you know, control of the network. I, I, so I think it's a storm in a teapot. So the game theoretical, uh, you know, aspects of it is that is that people are incentivized to maintain the system together. I don't think it's likely that any one party is going to get uh, a 51% hash rate of, uh, of the market. Um, it's more distributed than it's ever been now. Um, very, very interesting uh, statistic is that 5% of hash power is in Iran. And that was for me, when I read that day before yesterday, I just went like, oh yeah, here's Bitcoin's USP, right? So here it is that you and I and everybody that's into Bitcoin are looking at state level actors, right? <coughs> and saying, you know, I don't want to be under the, the, the financial regime, regime of FATCA in America, right? That's just like a very, very personal point of view. Think about it when you're a state. You know, America's been fucking with Iran for for four generations, yeah, <laughs> and 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 they have uh, heavy heavy uh, sanctions, and five percent of the hash power is there, and they're basically monetizing their oil over over Bitcoin. So they're burning their oil and they're creating Bitcoin. They are supporting mining. A lot of it is governmental mining, but look at that and just consider that from a personal point of view. Here's a nation state that is fighting against America, right? So we're not even in the phase yet of, of actual nation state actors being, uh, um, you know, a threat to the average uh, Bitcoiner. It's starting. So the mining council stuff is, is like a step in the right direction that you have not the state actually um, mining, but at least setting some sort of standards about how it is that mining is happening uh, with, with, private, with private companies. And I do think that this dialogue will lead to some sort of rationalization and stabilization of the Bitcoin price because you now have countries literally competing to regulate how it is that Bitcoin is integrated uh, in, into the world's economic system. And if you want to look at it from that point of view, you could, you could say that we've won, so to speak, right? It's, it's always been the end goal that there's the acceptance uh, and when people talk about hyper-Bitcoinization and that, you know, it's going to become the world system of money. Well, how else is it going to become the world system of money unless governments are co-opting it? Um, long story short, I still think that Bitcoin's um, security guarantees, uh, its consensual rules and whatever uh, are, are strong enough to stand um, uh, stand up to state and institutional participation. And the benefit is, is that if they do adopt it or even co-opt it, it's, I can still permissionlessly participate, right? If they can't stop me from participating the same way that they can't stop me from consuming drugs or going to a prostitute if it's illegal in the country that I'm in, right? So that's always my favorite argument. Can Bitcoin be stopped? And I'm like, well, you know, they could theoretically ban it, but 
that's really worked well with prostitution and drugs, right? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's, it's. <laughs> yeah, I think that's basically the, the most important USP uh, in this business language that Bitcoin has. It's uncensorability and it's openness. So everybody has to be able to use it without ID and uh, um, regardless of uh, status or wealth. And I think that's the most important thing, isn't it? Well, sure. So it's not that it's without ID. So, right, the, 20, the 20th century paradigm is that you have a birth certificate, you have, you know, high school diploma, you have a driver's license, you have a passport, you have all these documents to say that you have a right to do certain different things, okay, that establish your identity. And the idea behind public private key pair cryptography is that is all it is that you need to have an identity, right? So it's not that we don't have identity, it's that we have identities that are not necessarily tied to personal data and not tied to, type, to the type of documentation or personal data that then enables you or gives you the right to do something. It's a very, it's, it's like a, an incredible human rights progression that all I need is this trustless way of establishing a transaction, whether it's financial or a message, yeah? That that's not tied to my own whole personal history is an amazing, uh, amazing development. What I call the 21st century paradigm, right? And, and this is going to, when we get past all of this, this sort of, you know, friction about fighting with, with, with legacy systems, the level of permissionlessness that it, that you've seen enabling, uh, um, innovation. And, and business, right, in our parallel economy. Imagine that when that's actually the way that things work. Imagine the unleashed power, the unleashed development, when nothing's more is tied to all of this cluttered, you, we both live in Austria, right? You know what a bureaucratic state is like, right? You can't breathe here without having permission, you know? To, you, you, you need a license to be a, a window dresser here, you know? Um, so, so, so this permissionlessness uh, unleashes innovation and removes friction, and that's why it is that I've always believed from the beginning why it is that Bitcoin would be successful is because it removes friction uh, and makes uh, systems more efficient. The fact that it's based on, uh, on 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 sound money is for me sort of like secondary. It, it's necessary, right, for it to be based on on a sound money principle, but that what percolates out from all of that and all the development that we see that's been birthed on Ethereum, for example, and now all these other chains came from this solid level of, you know, base layer of sound money that enables everything else. And that's been the argument from the beginning. This is what we were talking about on the cypherpunks mailing list. Um, it's, it, it's, you know, Bitcoin's USP hasn't changed. It's only been confirmed uh, in, in my view. And what are those future things that you see coming? Like, uh, it sounds like everybody is going to have an ID just with uh, his or her uh, smartphone or device uh, based on public, uh, 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 like cryptography, uh, public-private uh, keys. We're going to see more walled gardens. You're going to see it basically at the OS and at the hardware level, right? You're going to have secure enclaves on your on your phone. Uh, you're going to have secure enclaves on on other computing devices, and they will be tied to uh, an ID that you that you can move in or out of. At some point, I would expect that uh, Elon Musk is going to have uh, is going to have ASICs uh, in his in his cars or in his batteries or some other uh, some other product. 
you know, the earliest people that I met in Bitcoin were either were either poker players or or physics uh, professors, right? Uh, very, very. One of my favorite stories is a a, a Ukrainian physics pre professor that was hanging out in Medlab. He lost two hundred thousand Bitcoin, two hundred thousand Bitcoin on Mount Gox. Okay, and he ended up oh, committing yeah. suicide, right? But anyway, what he was doing is he was actually building mining rigs for people in Russia and Ukraine to heat their homes, right? One of the mm -hmm. first people that I knew in Bitcoin that was serious about it, right? Already was at that point using the thermodynamics. And what are we doing now? We're, we're using oil flares. Uh, we're using uh, grow tents, tomatoes, ham, uh, hemp, whatever. We're actually, it, it's not in the forefront of this whole energy discussion right now, but there's already multiple companies that are, are using unused energy. And not only uh, not only are they earning Bitcoin with it or mining Bitcoin with it, but they're, do, they're doing secondary uses with thermo, thermodynamic energy to grow plants, for example. Yeah. So, I mean... Uh, this is like really, really where I get to feel like a, a, a utopian hippie wet dream guy, you know, like, wow, this is this is all pretty, pretty future, you know, pretty futuristic stuff um, that that I dreamed about as a kid in the, in the 70s when we went through the, the first oil crash. Right. And the whole the whole global warming uh, discussion, all, the whole sustainability, slow food, all that stuff is a debate are things that we went through in the 70s uh, with the uh, with the you know, whole earth catalog. Right. And and the whole earth catalog is was done by a guy named Stuart Brand and Stuart Brand, uh, you know, like pretty much was central at the well and central with all of these communities that I was involved with. Right. And did the Long Now Foundation uh, later on. So 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 the sort of things that I see happening with Bitcoin, you know, they, they, they literally come from my hippie, um, you know, activist roots in California where, um, you know, Apple Computer was founded. Um, behind my university was the Rand Corporation. The Rand Corporation is the ones that came up with the Cold World, you know, a mutually assured destruction, uh, you know, game theory. Yeah, those 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 guys came to my university and lectured and whatever. And that's the basis of Bitcoin. So so for me, being alive today and 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 looking at what's happening with Bitcoin. Um, is like I said, a, a, a hippie wet dream and sort of like, you know, pinch me in my awake that this stuff is actually happening, you know, so. <laughs> and so, so what's your opinion on the current like backlash in a way on Bitcoin about its uh, use or um, many people say uh, it should be banned because nobody needs it and all those things. Do you think this is just another like blow, uh, a, a tailwind? No, headwind, do you say, against Bitcoin and it will go away because Bitcoin will, like, as you said, innovate uh, how to use electricity or energy that otherwise is wasted anyhow. Why is the, why is the environmental impact of Bitcoin going to be uh, a deterrent to being used when oil being burned is not being used? There's an economic uh, incentive attached to, to burning coal, to burning oil, uh, and therefore we still have it. There's an economic incentive attached to burning energy uh, to secure the network for Bitcoin. How is it that it's going to basically not survive? Why, why is it that the oil, we're already moving in the direction of renewables and, and all of this stuff, right? You know, it's, it's already happening. So how is it that that 
that that oil is going to be more successful than Bitcoin is going to be more successful. It's just not evenly distributed yet. The future, so to speak, right? <laughs> I, I I think it's a I think it's a storm in a teapot. I think it comes from two things. Um, it comes first of all culturally from 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 the hatred for science and the scientific method, the absolute uh, uh, failure of our of our civilizations to adequately educate people as to science, the scientific method. Um, and we see that in the in the pure ignorance of the Trump administration uh, and all the people that believe in that, just a complete alternate reality that has, you know, literally no basis in any sort of like facts. So there's a certain sort of like cultural um, educational ignorance that we have uh, in our civilizations currently uh, manipulated and, and encouraged by the advertising revenue model propaganda. We understand all of these things, right? Um, so that's part of it. Secondarily, so basically for me, governments are not the threat for Bitcoin. Companies like Coinbase are. Mm -hmm. Coinbase and companies that basically suck re uh, regulatory cock are the threat, right? So what? Are, why is Coinbase a threat? Because what they're trying to do is trying to get themselves into a uh, a monopoly situation where they can be custodians of people's data and people's uh, and people's economic assets, right? Um, and so that's nothing different than than the system that we've had so far, where banks have have the authority to uh, basically say whether you can transact or not, and and they use that 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 monopoly position to basically do crime. So when when I hear um, uh, any news show talking about Bitcoin is used to do crime. I just like I just want to cry because all of the crime happens over banks. We just had a, how, how many how many scams, how many drug deals, right? When the two thousand eight financial collapse happened, who saved who saved the financial system? Mexican cartels put their cash money into the banks, and the banks were happy to fucking take it. Who does all of the drug money? Who does all of the drug running uh, out of out of Afghanistan? Why are countries fighting over Afghanistan for opium? Both legal and illegal. Who runs the drug trade? The CIA, the KGB, the Mossad. I'm sorry, but uh, you know, I, I, I just can't take seriously um, uh, institutions or organizations that try and pull the truth over my eyes that's out there for you to see if you want to look at it, right? So the second, th the, the, the second part of the dialogue around energy comes from economic interests that want to secure their place in being um, rent seekers, uh, caretakers, and custodians over, over people's assets and their rights to transact. And that's why I'm doing sovereign. <laughs> yeah, I trust, of so. course. <laughs> that was the, the perfect segue to sovereign. So what can we do? I mean, there are the coin bases of the world and there will be more of these centralized actors, of course. And they will, as you say, they are working together with the regulators. It goes so far that we now have so-called clean mining, you know, like uh, mining pools that say we only mine transactions that are not on the blacklist from the government. Um, what can we do? So you're a part of uh, the team of Sovereign. Um, tell us a little bit about Sovereign and what it does and why it's so special. So Sovereign is in the first line is a protocol. It's a protocol in the same way that Bitcoin is a protocol. It's a set of deployed smart contracts on the RSK sidechain, which is merge mined with Bitcoin, sharing in Bitcoin's security guarantees. Okay, that's why we say it's 
DeFi on Bitcoin is because it's using a, la a layer two solution, which is the RSK side, the rootstock side chain. Uh, again, to repeat this, because it's very, very important, it's merge mined with Bitcoin, which means that the same miners that are mining Bitcoin are mining rootstock, RSK, and we are sharing in the security guarantee. There are trade-offs. Excuse yeah. me. There is no additional electricity needed, is it? <laughs> well, I mean, addition, <laughs> no, actually not. No, actually no. It's the same as for Bitcoin. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Sovereign is a protocol. Uh, it's open source. It's on GitHub. It's auditable. It's forkable. Anybody can take it and, and, and duplicate what it is that's, that's being done. Right. The smart contracts are written in Solidity, which is the language that um, has enabled Ethereum uh, to move forward uh, at, a, at a speed that was different than Bitcoin moving forward because scripting capabilities, Bitcoin script was very, very complicated and very, very limited. There was no development around it because people were focused on other things, right? So Vitalik Buterin was in the forums and proposed basically, you know, some sort of uh, scripting composability uh, for Bitcoin and everybody went, ah, go away, <laughs> <laughs> stay away from our holy, our holy, uh, uh, you know, Austrian libertarian gulch gulch money um, and just run away, kid. And so, you know, he wrote about it more. He attracted Gavin Wood uh, and on, uh, basically on an about me profile. So Vitalik Buterin was on, was on about me and said, Hey, I wrote this paper and blah, blah, blah. And Gamma would got in touch and said, okay, it's cool. And they ended up meeting and discussing and developing things together and eventually, uh, decided to launch Ethereum on Bitcoin. People forget that Ethereum was the first ICO on Bitcoin who supported Ethereum at the beginning, Bitcoiners, all of the original Ethereum people. Bitcoiners. So this is where I get really, really sort of like disgusted and frustrated by the flippening and tribal debates around, around Ethereum and Bitcoin, because the people who started it are all totally conscious of what Bitcoin is. Originally, Ethereum was launched exactly for this energy debate. That was the argument at the beginning, right? Okay, we're wasting all of this energy. So let's do proof of stake uses less energy, right? Has a different set of security guarantees, but it was a very, very hippie utopian sort of inception that was based around, and people forget this, really, I, I don't understand how does the people can forget this that have been around, was exactly for this reason, right? So now it is that we have, we have solidity uh, on RSK. So in 2016, uh, Sergio Lerner, uh, gave his gave his first talk about rootstock. Um, they drew a huge amount of capital, I think, close to a billion dollars, again, in Bitcoin, um, to build this network. And it's now finally come to fruition years later. There's a lot of discussions around uh, the security guarantees, around the federators, and all these things around rootstock. But it's a different animal. 
The question is, how do you provide composability and lever to, uh, layer two solutions on top of Bitcoin? One of the ways that we've done it so far has been Lightning. And I'd like to go back and say also again, when the uh, the Lightning paper came out uh, in 2014, I think, or two, yeah, I, I think it was 2014, um, we were saying at the Bitcoin Foundation, you know, we could use Lightning by the end of the year and get away from transaction fees. It took apps years and years and years for Lightning to get to the point where it is right now. Simultaneously, RSK is, is developing, and now we're at the point where we have composable scripted uh, contracts for doing other things on top of Bitcoin. So that's what's unique about Rootstock. And um, this is where Sovereign sits, is at the, at the intersection between, between um, sound money, uh, security guarantees, permissionlessness uh, on top of Bitcoin with the additional scripting capabilities that have been developed over the last five years in Ethereum, right? Mm -hmm. So taking Sovereign as a protocol and taking uh, RSK uh, as a side chain, we also have an application, which is what people see. And that's live.sovereign.app. And what that is, is a decentralized exchange. Decentralized in the sense that, first of all, Sovereign has no company. It's a group of contributors that are around the, the GitHub repo uh, that launched a token, uh, which is a coordination token. Um, it's not a shit coin like people like to say. It's a coordination token. And what this coordination token is, is uh, allows you to participate in governance of the protocol, right? So you can acquire SOV. And when you have SOV, you can stake it in our in our governance uh, process, which is called Bitocracy. And when you stake uh, your tokens in the Bitocracy, depending on the length of the stake and the and the and and the number that you stake, your your voting power is calculated quadratically, right? So there's a balance in between whales and smallholders. Um, again, something quadratic voting is, was an idea that came from Vitalik Buterin and that was expanded together with Glenn Vile. I think you've even spoken with Glenn, uh, or maybe not, but, uh, then went on to be quadratic funding, which is implemented at Gitcoin where we're doing the hackathon, right? So we have all of these different things that are happening inside of Sovereign. So you have, you have the governance staking of the token, but what's unique about it is that you also, when you stake, you share in the in in all the fees that are generated on the platform. So there's no entity, all right? There's no group of people that are profiting from having this exchange. Everybody who has a token, everybody who holds SOV is getting a percentage of the fees generated by the platform. So it's basically uh, what I like to call uh, participatory revenue sharing. PRS. I have a purse. I'm, it's not equity, right? I'm participating in the, in, in sharing the revenue that's generated by the, uh, by the platform. So we thought about this very, very carefully in terms of, you know, is it a security? What type of language do you use and all of that? And at a certain point, it doesn't really matter because you can't stop it. It's a protocol that's running now. We can't turn it off. And we've built an application on top of it, which allows for uh, borrowing, lending, trading, market making, uh, yield farming, liquidity providing. Uh, and you can do all of those things on the platform. And here's the kicker. You never give up your keys to your crypto.
you can always move in and you can always move out because they're your private keys. You're signing transaction on the on the sovereign platform using your private keys. We do not store them. We do not have access to them. There's not an order book. It's all it's you keep it on your you keep your Bitcoin on your ledger. Uh, you sign from your ledger or your treasure. Yeah. So it's always your private key. And you, nobody can, we can't stop anybody from taking their crypto out of the system. There are slashing rewards if you're staking or providing liquidity. You know, there's all kinds of, you know, game theoretical economics around that to incentivize long term thinking. But essentially, it's permissionless. It's a decentralized exchange and it's on running on a protocol that we cannot stop. Yeah. And if the, and if, and if any of the developers uh, that are getting compensated for maintaining the protocol want to change uh, the smart contracts, um, it has to go through the governance process. So we're now on our 19th SIP sovereign improvement protocol. So it's not BIP, it's not EEP, it's SIP. <laughs> and the 19th one uh, was just, uh, we'll go to vote on Monday. And that is from the Exchequer Committee. Uh, which was voted in by SOB holders to manage the funds for the development of the protocol. And the total budget for the year is now up for a vote and SOV holders will be able to say, yes, we want this group of people to spend this amount of money or not. So it's a set of consensus rules. Um, and by participating in, 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 in the consensus, you also share in the success, the economic success of, of the platform. That's the decentralized exchange and decentralized governance model that uh, that Sovereign is doing based on the sound money guarantees of Bitcoin. So anybody out there that's saying that DeFi is not happening on Bitcoin just doesn't want to see the reality. They're locked up in some sort of dogmatic, uh, you know, non-adversarial, non-curious, uh, uh, you know, worldview. And it's happening around them. And, you know, <laughs> you can go black as black as white if you want to, but that's going to be just as effective as, as the Trump administration was. Time will show that DeFi is happening on Bitcoin. So, but where do you see the differences between DeFi on Bitcoin and DeFi on Ethereum or all the other platforms? It's not really relevant. <laughs> who cares which, who cares which chain it's on? Yeah. Yeah. But is, doesn't it have uh, other like properties? I mean, is it less secure or less decentralized, less, uh, is it not uncensorable anymore? I mean, as far as I know, um, the proof of stake is not so high, highly secure uh, than proof of work in being like... Um, I really, I'm so tired of this debate. Really, proof of stake, proof of work, who cares? They're both developing. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's all one, it's all one cryptid. It's one crypto world. Yeah. Crypto yeah. maximalism. I'm into that, right? My yeah. threat model is, like I said, institutions, fiat institutions, and fiat not only in an economic sense, but in, in a social sense. Fiat by decree. Mm. And innovation can live on all platforms. I mean, innovation exactly. is good everywhere. Right. So you it know. comes back. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I don't like, I don't like things like Tron. I don't like things like EOS, you know. I think Cardano is is just it is just like a you know a tank trying to be a try a, a Ferrari. Um, I, I think projects like like Avalanche are interesting. I think Matic is interesting. I think Near Protocol is interesting. 
you know, they're de definitely, I think Zcash is interesting, but again, I don't know if you've seen uh, Edon's most recent, uh, uh, you know, clip that's up on, on the Sovereign Twitter account, which says that, you know, if you're in crypto, you're a Bitcoiner, you just don't release, you just don't realize it. Why? <laughs> because everything stands or falls based on the sound money guarantees and the hash rate security guarantees of Bitcoin. If Bitcoin fails, the whole cap, the, the whole thing fails. Proof of stake with Ethereum would never survive without Bitcoin. That's my personal point of view. Um, but I think that there's a place for, I think there's a place for both. And the reason that, that, that Ethereum excited me, right? Why I moved into working in Ethereum in 2000, around the, around the ICO craze, basically. Why, why I um, moved into Ethereum is because that's where all the innovation was happening. Right. That's where all the curiosity was happening. That's where all the adversarial thinking was happening. And now we're having this debate on crypto Twitter about, you know, basically Bitcoin being a pet rock, you know, and 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 Ethereum being, you know, a, a, a unicorn or something exciting. And there's a lot of truth to that. Right. Basically, there hasn't been much happening in Bitcoin and there's been a fuck lot of shit happening on Ethereum. And, you know, there's been a lot of innovation and eventually. It's all going to be implemented on Bitcoin and RSK solidity contracts. What we're doing there is one of those things. Then you have people like Eric, Eric Martindale with Fabric Protocol, right? Who first started talking about that in 2017 uh, at, at Polis. Fabric Protocol is now, you know, basically a, a messaging bridge similar to, to, to Sphinx Chat. You know, there's a basically a, a Bitcoin based discord uh, fork, you know, called Grove.chat using the Fabric Proto Protocol from Eric Martindale, who was one of the original Bitcoin programmers. So there's innovation and development has been slow on Bitcoin, but now it's going to accelerate. And anybody that doesn't want to get on the train is just cutting off their cutting off their nose to spite their face. If you're if you're into Bitcoin, then you should be into composability. You should be into layer two solutions. You should start informing yourself and learning instead of just paying attention to your favorite guy on Twitter who built a following by being a libertarian, you know, clean money guy uh, and it just doesn't want to do anything or think anything different because they're afraid of losing the follower group that they've that they've found up. I mean, I, I just find you to be in, in, incredibly disgusting, you know, to be honest, you know. Um, yeah, and every all the time, all, only the price is in the headlines and everywhere, but all the innovation that's happening, uh, nobody sees it. And suddenly then people will open their eyes in a few years. And, I mean, what uh, a waste of time the whole Blockstream debate was. Blockstream controls Bitcoin because they funded some Bitcoin core developers. After everybody's going, can please all the people that are making bodies fund some Bitcoin developers? Okay, now we funded the Bitcoin developers. Oh, why are you going to own Bitcoin? How dumb are people, man? You know, I mean, Blockstream, uh, Adam Back, you know, wrote Hashcash, built a company on that, had sent satellites up so that we can do, you know, that we can keep... You just can't satisfy people. So, so at some point, you just need to start like, you know, discerning for yourself, right? Like, what is the signal amongst all of the noise? What is rational here? What's actually going on? Um, you know, and make your own decisions. So you, 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 it's just like anything in society. There's propaganda. You have to filter through the signal and the noise. You have to see what people's interests are. And you have to have some ability to like, go, okay, people are rash acting in their own rational self-interest. It's not a conspiracy. And 
Bitcoin as a system is designed to level the playing field. So all of that competition ends up in maintaining the equilibrium of the system and nobody can really get the upper hand. And if you look at the past, 12 years of history, nobody's gotten the upper hand, and I don't see why anybody's going to get the upper hand in the future. And we're going to continue to have these kind of debates. We're going to continue to have these sort of, uh, you know, arguments about, about the different things about uh, Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. And I find that healthy. I don't understand, again, why does it people have a problem with this adversarial debate stuff, unless it's just often this ad hominem sort of uh, area or based on, on, on and, you know, no rational information or data. So Sovereign was launched recently, some months ago, and you're developing very fast. <laughs> Slum, yeah, yeah, it's been it's been it's been amazing uh, thing. So um, basically, uh, Sovereign was established with some seed capital, uh, about a million and a half dollars in seed capital last year with a small group of people that essentially during the pandemic had gotten together to to do 3D printing for masks around the world. And you could like, so there were people with 3D printers. And if you, there was a 3D printer in your area, you could like get a max, a mask print. So a classic like hacker project where, okay, we're going to network with everybody over the internet and, you know, we're going to like, you know, provide masks. And they found out that they were all Bitcoiners. And they were all like, we're sitting on our, our Bitcoin, like we can't earn any money with it. And look what's happening in Ethereum. Like, you know, everybody's earning, you know, money on their holdings, doing yield farming in Ethereum. Why isn't this happening on Bitcoin? I, I want to earn with my Bitcoin. So they got together and they basically wrote it last year uh, with a little bit of seed capital. Um, and then there were two public sales that were advertised publicly. Uh, the coin was offered at, you know, at a discount to, to early investors. Uh, with with caps on investment um, and and the amount available, uh, and then it went um, live actually on the platform. So basically, this group of people got together, wrote a protocol, wrote a platform, launched a token on it, and funded themselves on their own exchange. <laughs> this is like kind of like mind boggling for me. And I got a call um, uh, in, in January from one of the early contributors who you've interviewed, Idan Yago, uh, who I've known for, for many, many, many years in the space, but you know, long time ago, colored coin, master coin days, like back in the early days, he's been around a long time. And uh, he pinged me and said, hey, listen, I'm not really, you know, I need somebody to help build the community uh, here. Um, and I said, okay, cool. So I, so I went over and in those four months, uh, we've done a public sale. Uh, we've uh, launched um, margin trading on the platform. So you can lend, you can borrow uh, on their 1.5 collateral. Um, so over collateralized um, uh, loans. Um, and uh, just this last week, we've uh, launched a bridge to Ethereum. And we now have a liquidity mining uh, program uh, where people are bringing their Ethereum over the bridge that we built. Uh, about $14 million in liquidity has come over in the last, in the last three days in Ethereum. Um, and that bridge is also a bridge to Binance. So this week we're going to be launching a bridge to Binance, um, and many other things, uh, many other chains. And so, um, everybody's always asking about, you know, so when are you going to be listed on Uniswap? When are you going to be listed on other exchanges? And we just went. We are an exchange. Why do we need to list anywhere else? 
Muhammad didn't go to the mountain. The mountain came to Muhammad. We're something different. People can come to us, right? So uh, we made a decision uh, together with the community to not launch uh, uh, SOV as a token on other exchanges on, on Ethereum, but rather to bring the liquidity into the system. Why did we do that? Because the transaction fees on Rootstock are like you know, 100% cheaper than they are on Ethereum. If you pay $14 for or $50 for, for a contract transaction to, to, to place a trade on Ethereum, you're paying like seven cents on RSK. Um, and, and people say, okay, well, that's going to go up when there's more usage. No, it's not going to go up when there's more usage because it's a side chain. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. And then we're uh, doing research uh, and uh, in other scaling technologies, optimistic rollups are coming. Uh, it's on our roadmap for, uh, for the next quarter. Uh, and that will, so packaging, doing calculation off chain with rollups. Whatever that is, <laughs> to be honest, whatever that is. I don't well, let's leave it and let your <laughs> listeners like, you yeah. know, uh, do that. So this is new terminal, you know, so people aren't, so zero knowledge proofs essentially. So optimistic rollups is where it is that you get the information, you calculate it off chain, you don't do the, you don't do the the proofs on chain. Okay, I understand. Okay. So rollups are the hot thing in Ethereum for the last two years. So. And the bridge means that now I can also take my ether and uh, uh, use it on Sovereign to lend it. Exactly. So you bring your so you bring your Ethereum over to the Sovereign platform, and we have an Ethereum BTC pool. Um, and there'll be an Ethereum SOV pool and et cetera. And so you can basically, okay. you can do all of the things that you do on other decentral, uh, on other DeFi platforms you can do, uh, on, on sovereign essentially with, with the lowest fees anywhere in crypto to be doing it. So people are waking up to that and the capital's coming in. In addition to that, we're also providing, so, uh, we're providing yield farm farming uh, rewards in the form of SOV. So we're not paying out in the tokens, uh, we're paying out yield in the form of SOV and that SOV is vested for 10 months. Uh, so, uh, which means that like, if you get free SOV from us for providing liquidity to the pool, uh, in, you know, in calculating for impermanent loss of how it is that the, that the two coins perform against each other, we're giving SOV rewards. And one tenth of that SOB unlocks every month. And it's also automatically gives you voting power, uh, in the system. So all of the yield farming rewards that we're giving are incentivizing people to participate in the governance of the platform and is incentivizing long-term thinking, right? So that's also what's different about how it is that we're doing coin rewards or token rewards is that we are forcing people to not take immediate, take immediate profit. So say, okay, yes, you should have your profit, but you should be holding it and looking forward hodl yeah <laughs> so that's baked into the protocol as well mm -hmm. i got one question to the decentralization i mean one thing uh that we're always looking out for is the regulation so more and more regulation uh is then again a problem for people who don't have an regular id like a government id or something like that 
Do I need to do KYC on Sovereign or how does this work? I don't even know what you're talking about. What's KYC? <laughs> oh, uh, know your customer identification. Like uh, I have to upload my identification or my passport or something like that and my uh, residency, state of residency, Meldezettel, uh, like on exchanges mm. uh, to be able to exchange euros to Bitcoin. I don't so, even, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of trolling you. <laughs> it's good that you say it though <laughs> my answer is what is that i understand now i understand what you meant okay it's just financial <laughs> surveillance and maintaining monopoly custodial position yeah backed by the power of the state which has an incentive to maintain their 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 monopoly over money they don't have a monopoly over money anymore they cannot stop Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies without turning off the internet. And even if they turn off the internet, we'll broadcast the block over radio transmission and satellite transmission and whatever. The technologies are there. The incentives, you know, to, to develop them came from the earliest days in Bitcoin. The fact of the matter is the internet is not going to get shut down. The fact of the matter is there's always going to be a jurisdiction that you can do jurisdictional arbitrage that will have an on-ramp onto fiat. The only place that the only place that crypto can be regulated by existing institutions is at the edges of the network where it intersects with the with the legacy systems. Um, crypto is how many a trillion or whatever economy. It's a drop in the bucket uh, in 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 world terms, but it has been existing uh, now for twelve years. The Bitcoin network has never gone down. We've had a couple of forks. It's the most secure network on the planet. That's the whole point of proof of work, burning the energy for the security guarantees and the transaction finality and maintaining and maintaining the uh, the integrity of the network. I just don't see what the point is of KYC. I don't need it anymore. And, you know, Exiled Surfer is, you know, not only just like a nom de plure, but I don't have a passport. My passport was revoked by the American government. Why was the passport uh, revoked by the American government? Well, they found out that I was working for the Bitcoin Foundation. And, you know, so they were looking at everybody in the Bitcoin Foundation. And I kind of like, you know, had this old arrest warrant in America from 1992 that they discovered and went, okay, um, you know, we're going to revoke your passport. I'm literally like the use case, right, of I don't have all the documents. I don't have any of the permission. I don't have any credit rating, right? Because of my because of my residency status. I don't have any of those things. I'm like a I'm like a Palestinian, basically. I have no travel documents. I have, you know, I do have residency permission in Austria, thankfully. Um, I do have a driver's license. I could do those types of KYC, but why should I when I can mm -hmm. transact permissionlessly with Bitcoin or Ethereum? Yeah. I just don't see how it is that existing institutions and existing systems can do anything other than basically threaten people with some sort of ethical argument that Bitcoin is bad and you shouldn't use it, which is why it is that's exactly what it is that they do is try and make you feel like a bad person or a criminal for basically wanting to be able to transact without a third party standing in between you and telling you you can do it or not. I just choose to stand. stand. If that makes me a criminal, then I choose to stand on the side of being a criminal. Um, it's a personal risk assessment. Um, you know, I'm one of the few people in, in the team in Sovereign that is known publicly. 
right? But I'm, I, I think, so what are you going to do to me? You know, like, okay, you know, the classic thing, you know, I had a boating accident if you want my, 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 my private key, right? Um, so then what's the next level of I had a boating accident? They still believe that I have a private key. It's the rubber hose thing. We're going to beat you until you, until you, you know, give us, or we're going to waterboard you or whatever. Man, what can I say? If that's, it's, if that's what the world comes to, <laughs> you know, and me as a Bitcoiner, you know, ends up getting beat with a rubber hose because I'm involved with a, with a protocol that they can't stop. I mean, you know, what do you stand for? You know, at what point, what, at what point are people willing to say, no, I'm not going to allow myself to be threatened. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I'd react if I'm getting beat by a rubber hose, but what I can tell you is, is that if I get beaten by a rubber hose or waterboarded, I'll tell them anything that they want to know. I don't know anything that they want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Right. So there's multi-sigs who controls the multi-sigs or which protocol controls the multi-sigs. It's all been, you know, set up in a way that basically they'd have to get 15 people in 15 different countries. You know, it's the same threat model that we have with federators and whatever. I don't actually see this stuff happening. I see maybe, you know, I see maybe a, a, a band of, of, of your favorite local criminal that's going to beat you to do that. But I don't see governments doing that. I see governments getting into regulating mining, right? So <laughs> KYC, uh, I left KYC behind, you know, um, in 2012 when I started getting, you know, uh, uh, paid for doing my work in Bitcoin and it's gotten easier and easier to transact uh, with that across. We have stable coins. I mean, the whole economy has developed so far past that I, I there's a lot of like, you know, paranoid threat modeling that people do that I just don't understand because I just don't see them knocking on the door. And I've been a public guy in Bitcoin for now for, for 10 years, man, and nobody's knocking on my door and threatening me and stopping me from doing what it is I'm doing. There's, there's videos of me on YouTube. I'm on government watch lists. I'm on the F, I'm I have an FBI file uh, and here it is that I'm talking to you and building a, a, a protocol for a decentralized exchange. So what's my message for all that? You know, free yourself from mental slavery, like Bob Marley saying, you know, don't let yourself be, uh, feel threatened by all the bullshit that's going on in the world, man. Don't let yourself be, not be a free person. Don't let yourself not be sovereign. You have, you have rights to decide what it is that you want to do with yourself on this planet while you're here. You have rights to, you know, decide how it is that you want to transact and you don't have to obey the fucking government, man, and feel like a criminal because all you want to do is send $14 to somebody in Kenya. You know, like, what the fuck, man? Hello, what is this? I mean, the KYC is the most, is, is, is the biggest scam and the biggest waste of money because what do they capture with all the money, with all this regulation? Half a percent half a percent of the corruption in the world and the corruption is not being done by me and you. Okay. Everybody doesn't declare a little everything on their taxes. Where's the corruption happening? It's multi-billion dollar shit that's happening on a level that none of us have any sort of access to. And all of the KYC stuff is nothing but friction and a control of your freedom. It's not getting any of the people that are, that are, that are, that are utilizing the system as it stands to basically, you know, fuck everybody else, man. I just, I just, I don't buy into it. I'm not going to be threatened by it and I'm going to do everything that I can.
to enable other people to per, to transact permissionlessly, and it, it's just it's just such a no brainer for me. KYC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's basically you, that's a nice, nice comprehension uh, of uh, what cypherpunks uh, want. Like cypherpunks write the code to protect ourselves. Like we're building. Uh, yeah, cypherpunks write code. Yeah. You know? Yeah, cypherpunks write code uh, to protect ourselves uh, from all these, uh, as you say, and I say shit uh, from the government and like all those uh, surveillance stuff. I've been told my whole life that I'm that I should be threatened. I feel threatened by black people. I should feel be threatened by this. I should be threatened by by, by you know people who believe in a different god. The only thing that I've ever been threatened, felt threatened by my whole life has been the government. That is my single and I That's and true. I look around uh, everywhere and it doesn't matter really which ism it is. I don't care if it's democracy. I don't care if it's social democracy. I don't care if it's communism. I don't care if it's the flavor of whatever. All I see is a bunch of oligarchs on the planet right now, you know, sucking the air, uh, you know, out of the room. Um, I feel threatened by governments and I don't know how it is that, that other people don't. And, um, and I mean, and I don't mean the people that are obviously involved in revolutions around the world, you know, that are fighting against that stuff. I don't understand how, how the average white bread middle-class person yeah, with all of the advantages, does not feel threatened by their government. They've been lulled into a sense of complacency um, that I just don't understand. How does it, you can look around and not see all of the suffering on the planet, all of the, you know, how, how can you just like go on living your life and not wanting to be doing something about it um, other than you are afraid that the government is going to take away what it is that you have? At what point do people wake up and go, you know, what dream am I living in? It's not, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I'm just a hippie. <laughs> you know? I think they're spending all their time in uh, like obey the rules and um, consume stuff, you know, like work and consume. That's the thing people do most of the times. Yeah. So can we, well, let's, let's bring it back down. Let's bring it back to about, about what else it is that we're, that, exactly. that we're doing about it, you know? That would have been my next question. It's about the, the hackathon you're planning. So what's the goal for the hackathon? And maybe we also have listeners who don't know what a hackathon is, please, please explain. So hackathons basically grew out of LAN parties uh, and the demo scene. And LAN parties were local area network gaming. So when you could, mm -hmm. when somebody had a LAN box with Ethernet cables before we had wireless, uh, you'd get together and, you know, with a bunch of cables and everybody would do uh, multiplayer, multiplayer gaming. Right. And simultaneous with multiplayer, multiplayer gaming, uh, land parties, there was also what was called the demo scene. Um, and the demo scene was that you would write code in real time with people around you and there would be competitions. Right. And that sort of grew into, um, hackathons. And then also when we started seeing, uh, you know, DDoSing of sites on the internet and stuff and the word hacker and the film hackers and all of this stuff, it's sort of like a, a, a collective culture that grew into that you have a one, three, five, seven day event where people come together and you have a theme and you say, okay, in those three days, we're going to intensively build something. And you put a team together and one guy writes the Python code, the other guy writes the front end and you compete against each other uh, in the sense that uh, you have a short period of time 
to show everybody what it is that you do at the end of the hackathon, you get up and you do a presentation, right? People are used to this in, 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 in venture capital where you like, you know, you have a pitch deck, you have 15 minutes to write. So people in VC, they get together and they make their project and they make a pitch deck and then they go and do a dog and pony show with VC. And in the hacker world is hackathons. Um, and so many different things that, that we know, uh, you know, found, found their start, uh, in hackathons where people who didn't know each other got together and, you know, uh, looked to solve a problem. Like what's the problem that we want to solve. Right. So I've been involved in that, in that culture for a long time. And, and, um, as I said, started working in Ethereum and doing hackathons, uh, ETH Berlin. Uh, doing the speaker programming and being involved in the co-production team of, of, of ETH Berlin. Um, for, uh, during DevCon 4, I did a side event called Crypto Life with Status IM, which, you know, burst a number of projects uh, like uh, LeapDAO um, is one of them that came out of Crypto Life Hackathon. Also Mintbase, which is run by a guy named Nate Geyer, who's an NFT uh, platform uh, on Ethereum. Um, Things that people are familiar with, Uniswap, SushiSwap, uh, you know, uh, came out of out of Ethereum hackathons. So I've been involved in that space, uh, and so as I mentioned earlier, the uh, the contracts for for Sovereign are written in Solidity, the Ethereum world. So we started looking around uh, because we we're expanding the team. We grew from fifteen to sixty. We still have forty open open positions uh, in the last four months, and you can't find any Solidity developers in a bull market. With this, with this dip that we're at right now, we're still in a bull market. You know, <laughs> if you look at the, if you look at the, you know, the trend lines across the years. Um, so, so I started reaching out once I joined Sovereign because we needed developers and UI UX people. And basically everybody I know was working. And there's, there's tons of money sloshing around at the moment and there's not a lot of developers. So I was like, Hmm, all right. So how can I, how can I get access to developers in Ethereum for a DeFi project on Bitcoin? <laughs> a hackathon. Um, so we're doing that on Gitcoin and Gitcoin is a unique animal in the space. There's no equivalent in Bitcoin. Gitcoin was, uh, an early consensus project. They've just recently spun out and now have their own governance token, uh, which allows you to participate in the governance of the Gitcoin platform. Uh, and the Gitcoin, Gitcoin's mission is to, uh, fund open source software development, whether it's, uh, in the crypto space or, or, uh, you know, any sector. It's a portal that you log on to that has prize bounties and it, it's so not only are there hackathons there, but there's an ongoing companies, projects post a bounty. Hey, I need, you know, I, 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 I need this smart contract review done. I need this and they do that. And it's basically a way to get paid for uh, your skills in, in coding. And they've basically distributed over twelve and a half million dollars uh, over the last uh, over the last years um, to open source developers, and so people are getting paid in tokens in Ethereum, in Dai, in you can basically any of the ERC twenty tokens are available on the Gitcoin platform, and it's an incredibly vibrant uh, network of, of of developers. I think it's over ninety two thousand <laughs> developers are on the platform. Uh, so I've been, uh, uh, I know the Gitcoin team and have, have participated in many events together with them. And so I thought this is the best place that we can do a hackathon. 
Uh, so I spoke with the uh, with the uh, uh, leadership uh, uh, circle and and budget committee in 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 Sovereign said I want to do a, a hackathon to um, basically find talent uh, and so we were putting up uh, half a million dollars uh, in SOB uh, for um, bounties and post hackathon grants uh, in five different tracks. Um, we'll be giving prizes, and then the intention is is from those uh, those prize winners that we uh, provide grants to to further develop their uh, their their uh, project. And what we're looking for are things that intersect with uh, with our product or that also bring the space forward. So it's not only limited to uh, to sovereign as a platform, but uh, DeFi as a whole. Um, and uh, so looking to bring to inform Bitcoiners about this way of uh, incentivized uh, development. You can keep arguing about shit coins if you want to, but we're so far past that point, right? There's, there are, there's an interlocking economy uh, of people with aligned interests in Ethereum that are all holding equity in each other's projects. Everybody's holding each other's tokens. Those tokens are available in pools like Uniswap, and it's incentivized, uh, you know, uh, an, an incredible amount of development um, that's rocketed Ethereum forward. And so we want to bring that back as a homecoming to Bitcoin. We don't think that that Ethereum is going to stop existing. We don't think it should stop existing. We think that that it's great that it exists, right? Because it has provided an on ramp for this to start happening on Bitcoin. What I so the second goal of of the conference is uh, is a meeting of the minds, uh, is a meeting of of the interests, a meeting of curiosity, a meeting of uh, of adversarial thinkers on from any chain. Right, that we come together and say, how do we advance DeFi? How do we advance identity? How do we identify? How do we advance privacy and shielded transactions? How do we advance all of these things based on Bitcoin's sound money and security guarantees? So I pulled together um, a number of people from from across the space, uh, from from both the Ethereum and Bitcoin worlds um, that are thinking in this way and that get it uh, and want to, we're going to have panels, um, three days of, of talks and at the beginning of the hackathon and three days at the end, and then we'll judge this stuff and, and the best projects will incentivize further with grants, but it doesn't stop there. <laughs> the vision goes further. Um, <laughs> so in addition to, to uh, all the DeFi aspects of, of Sovereign, we also have a, a token launch platform, which is called Origins. Uh, and so since we, since we launched our own token on our own platform, we're now launching tokens to incentivize development for DeFi products. And the first two that we're doing uh, is called Money on Chain, which is a, uh, a stablecoin project that came out of Mexico, which we have as uh, stablecoin collateral on our on our system they have uh, two products and then a second one is called babblefish money and what babblefish money is is a uh, basket of stable coins so we are implementing the babblefish money protocol on on sovereign it's an integrated part of our product and to continue with the development they are now doing token launches uh, on the origins platform of sovereign and Think about this. If you hold SOV, then you're going to be getting an airdrop of these token launches of products that are integrated with the software platform. Uh, 
So the roadmap is we do a hackathon, we support further with grants. There are VC uh, companies that are that are interested in providing additional seed capital to build teams. And so that'll be the roadmap that we incentivize VCs to invest in teams that have proven themselves with product development through the hackathon and through a grant process. And then we will provide them an on-ramp to actually do their own token launch uh, to, to fund their operations and their protocol um, interlocked with open decentralized governance. So no companies, this is all part of the whole future of decentralized autonomous organizations or DAOs or however you want to call them, but we don't even see the need for that. The only relevant thing is a multi-sig that controls where it is that the money goes and those multi-sigs should be, should be, have a governance process back behind them. So that's the roadmap and that's our vision for the year. Uh, and it starts with the hackathon. The hackathon is backed by what it is that we've done over the last six months. And we're inviting Bitcoiners and Ethereans to come together and, uh, and basically build a permissionless future. Everything that exists on Ethereum can exist on RSK. It's solidity. We're speaking with Avalanche. We're speaking, we're also having Stacks, which is people see as a competitor in the Bitcoin DeFi space. Munib, who's been working for many years with Stacks, is going to be one of the judges. Uh, we're reaching out to ThorChain. We're speaking with Lightning. We're speaking with anybody who wants to enable permissionless transact, permissionless or frictionless transactions, um, and 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 just trying to to incentivize and kickstart the ecosystem on 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 Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And uh, you are are you looking only for developers or also for people who do product management and other stuff? Well, of course. So, so the idea behind behind a hackathon is that people come together, uh, they examine the prize bounties, um, they come into the Discord channels. So there'll be there'll be Discord channels for 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 each of the uh, the bounty tracks, and say, hey, um, you know, I do this. Do you guys need that? Who's doing that? And the idea is is that in six week period of time that people find each other with, a, with, with skill sets and common interests. And in that six week time, build something that is, that can be implemented, right? So it's like, build us something that works, right? To the degree that it can. And if we look at it and we go, okay, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we'll, you know, we'll give you money for having done it and we'll reward you to keep developing it. But it has to be something that, you know, has some sort of like relevance, right? So yes, mm -hmm. UI, UX people, product managers, you know, however it is that people get together to, you know, somebody needs to do the slide deck. Somebody needs to do the video for YouTube, um, right? So you, there's a whole set of submission guidelines of what makes a, a complete submission. So it's a GitHub mm -hmm. repo uh, with, with auditable code. It's a product description and a, and a, and a pitch deck and a video. And so it's like a, it's an, it's an accelerator. It's a, it, it's an incubator. That's what a hackathon is for us is it's a way of using open source software where you, everything is open for everybody to see and to audit as is the ethic and the, the base of our community. Um, and you say, okay, so you, you think you have an idea, build it. Cypherpunks write code, show us to it. And that needs also people that communicate that. So, People gather together in a virtual space, uh, chat room. They can also connect over, over, over Zoom or Jitsi or whatever. However it is that people from all over the world get together and focused for six weeks to accomplish something, to earn, um, some, uh, a reward with the idea that it's going to be the, the best projects will be funded further. 
And uh, how is the application process working and when is it starting? Okay, so right now you can go to sovereign.app and there's a sign up form there uh, and uh, it'll take you eventually to Gitcoin. Uh, to the page. So it'll walk you through the process and provide you a link to, to Gitcoin. And you sign up on Gitcoin. And as of June 4th, there will be uh, prize uh, bounties in the Bounty Explorer on Gitcoin for the Sovereign Hackathon. And you sign up on, on Gitcoin and you do a profile. And there you, you can, can explore the prize bounties and connect with people that want to collaborate with that on, on Gitcoin. Uh, and then in our Discord channel. So there'll be mentors and I'll be in channels and helping people and answering questions and other people will be doing so as well. And then you have uh, six weeks to submit a, a completed project, which will then be judged. Okay. Wow. Great. Um, <laughs> did we did we miss anything? Well, in addition to our bounties, so we're giving a half a mil in in bounties and grants. Uh, we also have additional partners: the Cash Network, uh, API Three, uh, ENS Domains, uh, and Interlay are also adding another. Uh, I think it's about a hundred and fifty or hundred seventy five thousand dollars in bounties and grants to this. It could end up being more by the time that it is that 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 the uh, that the hackathon launches and yeah so there'll be online content okay right so we're also going to be live streaming a side event from bitcoin miami uh bitcoin miami so we launched the same day as bitcoin miami um on the fourth in the evening john light also known as litecoin on twitter is is doing a multi-chain miami event where there's also going to be speakers and and so we'll be including that as content. Uh, hopefully, you'll be joining us to to moderate panels uh, during our content. That would be really cool. Um, so there's the hackathon. There's the content program. I'm gonna make it up as I go along. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> there's a there's a rough framework, but there's mm -hmm. a certain amount of spontaneity to it. So as things develop and attempt, people pay attention to it and want to get involved, then we'll find a way to get people involved. And it's so what it is that I'm doing doesn't begin and end with the hackathon. It's just like a way of saying hello to everybody. Come and talk to us and show us what it is that you want to do. Uh, and and we'll do whatever it is that we can to enable it. Yeah, there's 15 projects that we're working on at the moment that we're not even talking about publicly. There's so much activity that's going on and they're all in various stages of percolating and being enabled um, to to, um, you know, basically run and finance and govern themselves. And we're just acting as an enabler. We're not none of us are trying to to get rich on this uh, other than have a have an infrastructure that we can use our crypto. Without, 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 you know, without having to participate in the, in, in, in the system as it exists now. Right. So that's mm -hmm. the goal, uh, is creating all the stuff that we want to use and, and, and that we need, uh, and looking forward on a, you know, not just what's in front of our nose, but what's happening in one, three, five years. Right. Mm -hmm. What a fascinating new world, actually. I mean, also for me, hackathons, you know, uh, when I started with the internet in 1997, there was not, not uh, such a thing like that, at least not here in Austria, <laughs> you know, and always in this business context, you don't have that. I mean, I don't know how it is today. Maybe uh, that's more, but yeah, 
um, sounds, uh, yeah, uh, interesting. So thank you very much for this wide-ranging conversation. Um, I learned uh, something new, like from the history of Bitcoin. And also I like the perspective you have on uh, that we live in a crypto world and uh, it's not Bitcoin against anything else in the, in, in the space. Like, uh, yeah. It's silly to think like that. How can you look at what's happening on Ethereum? I mean, you can have disagreements about proof of stake or proof of work. You can have opinions about how much, how many tokens the Ethereum Foundation holds, and how many, how many tokens uh, Vitalik holds. I think mm -hmm. he's been a pretty, uh, you know, philanthropic, uh, you know, leader of the protocol. Um, you know, you can have opinions about that stuff, and, and and they're valid, right? But that doesn't devalidate the the whole protocol or the whole thing that's happening on, on Ethereum. Same thing goes for Bitcoin. I mean, none of the arguments or discussions that we're having around layer two uh, tech on Bitcoin, none of it takes away from it to, to have these discussions. It's just sort of, it's just sort of silly, right? Um, they are both have apparently aspects that make people interested in using them. And both of them are outside of state control. Yeah. Mm. You can argue about the degree of centralization, but this is another thing that, that people need to get through your head, through their head. Decentralization is only a tool. It's not the full goal. Decentralization is a, is a, is, is in our toolbox for threat modeling how it is that you maintain the stability of the network to the degree possible. It's not the be all and end all of this. It's one of the things uh, that had, that that is implemented in crypto that's of interest. And yeah, this is so yeah, disappointing silliness in, <laughs> in the debate you know, for for me. It's 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 it's, it's disappointing to see how, how far it's descended. People that um had had, you know, I watched a lot of young people come up. I don't want to name any names, but there's a lot of young people that I watched come up and through the space that originally when they appeared up, I was like, okay, great, cool. Here's another guy that gets it. Cool. Support them. Talk to them, you know, la, la, la. And they like developed into these just like, you know, rock solid, you know, dogmatic, narrow thinkers that are just repeating a dialogue and are not willing to look left or right other than anything that it is that they understood when they first got a Bitcoin epiphany, right? It's like, it's like a religious dogma, you know, like, oh, okay, I found God. And the only God that I found is the only God there is, is the God that I found, you know, there can't be any other gods. It's, it's just, doesn't really bring us forward. And it's very, very, you know, it's why I'm, you know, openly trying to do what I can to, to um, combat that. Thank you very much for, for, for inviting me. It's also always great to talk to you. Um, Anita, uh, you're one of those people that I saw uh, show up in the space as well. And your your career um, has been really enjoyable for me to watch. You're curious um, and you uh, go and ask the right questions. And I've watched you learn. You're bringing out a book soon. You know, that's, I think, going to be really awesome. You know, you, you for me are like the perfect Bitcoiner in that sense. You're curious and you ask the right questions and you put it all together into some sort of understandable form and then you give it to others. And that's, a, I think, an obligation that we all have is to pass on, you know, um, our knowledge that, that we have in understanding these things. It's, uh, it's an obligation. 
Yeah, so I, you know, you're one of my highly respected peers in the space. And thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you very much for these kind words. Uh, I can only give them back. And um, I'm looking forward to all the developments on Sovereign and in the space because it's also for me something new to learn, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I had my Bitcoin epiphany and now I wrote that book, Learn Bitcoin, which is about the basics and how to be sovereign yeah, with your finances. Um, but I think the next chapter, yeah, has to be something new. And that's basically uh, building these crypto space. Um, uh, that's, yeah, like the, the exit from government control. Well, yeah, I'm going to make you a promise, okay? I'm going to make you a promise, right? By the time that you catch up with DeFi, we're going to have stuff that you're going to have to learn again. Okay. Yeah, I make you that sure promise. There's cool stuff happening in Bitcoin. There's yeah. cool stuff happening in crypto. And by the time you get your head around that, we're going to challenge you with some new stuff too. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Have a good day and see you next time. All see right, you soon. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks so much for joining the Anita Posh show today to learn more about Bitcoin. You can find the show notes for this conversation on anita.link slash show. If you want to get the best stories in Bitcoin from my point of view in your mailbox, go to anita.link slash weekly and subscribe. And if you have a question or just want to send me some feedback, drop me a line at hello at anitaposch.com. See you next week when it's time for the Anita Posh Show. Music start with yes, delicate beats. Content, idea and production. Anita Posh.